the obligation of tefillin in Deuteronomy is joined with the obligation of teaching our children. This in turn allows us to understand that the tefillin embodies an obligation to bind ourselves to our ancestors. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 53, The Survivor's Tefillin. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. When America entered World War II, a young Orthodox Jew from New York by the name of Meyer Birnbaum was drafted, served in Patton's army, and was part of the original forces that entered and liberated Orsdorf, which was an extension of the concentration camp Buchenwald. Birnbaum ended up staying for six months in Germany in order to help address the needs, lives, and future of the Jewish survivors. His memories were recounted to the writer Jonathan Rosenblum and published as a memoir titled Lieutenant Birnbaum. And at the heart of his tale is a Jewish ritual that is quite famous. But it is Birnbaum's experience with Jews who had been through hell that will allow us to see this biblical rite with renewed and profound appreciation. The passages we are studying today reiterate the commandment, the mitzvah, the ritual known as tefillin, or phylacteries. And while tefillin, a word whose etymological origin is a bit mysterious, is the standard term in traditional Jewish parlance, this, however, is not a term mentioned explicitly by the Bible. Tefillin are twice discussed in Deuteronomy. The first is chapter 6, verse 4, in the passage known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be upon thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down and rise up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy arm, and they shall be a symbol between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thy house and upon thy gaze. This is the passage. The final verse refers to the obligation known today as mezuzah, which is the placing of a parchment containing certain passages from Scripture on the entrances of our homes. But the penultimate verse describes the obligation to bind biblical words to our arms and to place them atop our heads, above our eyes. These are the tefillin. A similar passage appears several chapters later, which in traditional liturgy is recited daily along with the first passage of the Shema and has become associated with it. In Deuteronomy 11.13 we are informed, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my command, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses then outlines in this passage the rewards that will result from love and obedience and the punishments that will occur in the case of sin. And then he exhorts Israel in verse 18, Therefore shall ye place these my words on your hearts and on your soul, and ye shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be a symbol between your eyes. And ye shall teach your children to speak of them when thou sittest in thy house and walkest by the way, and when thou liest down and risest up. As interpreted by rabbinic tradition, one places biblical passages inside two leather boxes, tie one on our arms, known in Hebrew as the shalyad, and place one on our heads, or shalrosh. And while the shalrosh and the shalyad are constructed differently and contain different numbers of pieces of parchment, both contain within them, written out on parchment, four passages from the Torah. These two that we have discussed in Deuteronomy, and two earlier ones in Exodus, which also reference the tefillin. 
describing them as a reminder of our achieving freedom from slavery through the goodness of God. Rightly understood, these boxes, these tefillin, are meant as a reminder of both the commandments in the Torah and the debt owed to the divine for our redemption from Pharaoh. But the verb introducing the commandment is essential. Ukshartam, you shall bind them, you shall tie them. In putting on tefillin, Jews express that they are bound. But bound to whom? Bound, of course, first and foremost to God. To wear tefillin is a sign of faith and love. As we have heard, it is introduced in passages about our obligation to love God. And that is why one of the experiences that so impacted Birnbaum in his interaction with survivors was their desire to reflect this faith and this love in their own lives. Birnbaum describes how American GIs discovered two teenage Jewish boys in the nearby woods and brought them to the young lieutenant. Birnbaum recollected that, quote, when the two boys were brought in, their first request was to borrow a pair of tefillin. How do you know I have a pair of tefillin, I asked them. All Jews have tefillin, they answered. And Birnbaum adds, their naivete was touching. Even after all they had seen, they still could not imagine a Jew anywhere in the world without tefillin, end quote. This is striking, because as the rabbis have understood it, tefillin is more than a mere reminder of our Judaic obligations. In Midrashic metaphor, they are a symbol of the reciprocal relationship of marital love between God and Israel. Many Jews recite a verse, a divine declaration from the prophets as they wind the straps. Varastich li liolam, and I will betroth you to me forever. The Almighty, the Talmud enigmatically remarks, also places tefillin, but his parchments contain not praises of God, but praises of Israel. This is meant as a metaphor to describe the bond of love between us. Tefillin, therefore, are a symbol of faith and of love. And in Birnbaum's case, the young men he had met had experienced such horror that one might have expected them to lose their faith, to cease to believe in a betrothal between Israel and the Almighty. But the opposite was the case. All they wanted upon being freed was to place tefillin on their heads and their arms to bind themselves to God. Birnbaum readily gave his tefillin to them, but what happened next teaches us something new. Tefillin has come to be associated with bar mitzvah. It is a ritual begun a month or two before a boy comes of age, and of course many of these survivors would not have had a regular bar mitzvah. Birnbaum therefore tells us what occurred. Quote, I gave them my tefillin and went back to my reports. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that they were passing the tefillin back and forth without putting them on. I went over to them and warned them. Listen, this is not a game. Tefillin are not a toy to be passed back and forth. They looked at me with sadness in their eyes. But we don't know the laws of tefillin. We were in the camps long before our bar mitzvahs, and we don't even know how to put them on or what blessing to recite. Birnbaum writes further, The thought of little boys growing up in concentration camps caused tears to well up in my eyes, and I apologized for not having realized that they could not possibly know how to put on tefillin. I helped each one wrap the tefillin and say the bracha, blessing, and gave them my little sitter, prayer book, to daven, pray, from. When they had finished, I gave them some dried kichel that my mother had sent me, and sardines I had requisitioned from the house of a nearby German, end quote. Thus did Birnbaum provide them with a makeshift bar mitzvah, sardines, prayer book, kichel, and Ashkenazic Jewish pastry. And as I argued in commentary, 
we learn from this story something else about the tefillin. To put on tefillin, you need someone to teach you. You need, ideally, a father who has previously put it on himself for many years. You need parents to mark a bar mitzvah. As you will have heard from my original citation of the passage, the obligation of tefillin in Deuteronomy is joined with the obligation of teaching our children. This, in turn, allows us to understand that the tefillin embodies an obligation to bind ourselves to our ancestors. And the ritual, which is so seemingly mysterious to those who have never seen it before, is actually, in its own way, an embodiment of Judaism. Because the experience recounted by Birnbaum pitifully but powerfully illustrates how Judaism works. The commandments are declared by God, but they are taught to us by those who came before. And we are therefore obligated in Judaism not only to connect ourselves to God, but also to our past. These boys here in Orsdorf needed someone to show them how to perform what is both literally and symbolically a tie that binds, not only to God, but to our forebears. Tefillin is therefore a literal and a symbolic connection, tying together past, present, and posterity. But we are still only scraping the surface of this complex commandment. My grandfather, Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik, noted that of the two tefillin, one is placed on the head and the other near the heart, and suggested that they reflect two different modes of thinking and feeling. One which he called the logic of the mind, and the other which he referred to as the logic of the heart. The former reflects knowledge of God and his laws through reason, for there are forms of knowledge of the divine and of morality that are accessible to the human mind. But the tefillin of the heart reflects the Jewish love for God and for one's people that has the power to astonish and to defy expectation. This, in the end, is also what we find in Birnbaum's experiences. These young boys that Birnbaum met were not the only ones to request tefillin. For soon after his arrival at Orsdorf, Birnbaum came to a place called Feldafing, which had originally been a German base and was converted into a DP camp by the Allied forces. There Birnbaum remained, spending time with the survivors from many camps that had been brought there and marking Yom Kippur there. The spiritual leader of many of the DPs was Ikutil Yehuda Halberstam, known as the Kloisenberger Rebbe, and while he had survived, his wife and children were murdered in the Holocaust. Birnbaum reports that, quote, As soon as word got out that I had kosher tefillin, the whole block wanted to put them on. Every morning they would line up under the watchful gaze of the Kloisenberger Rebbe, who would make sure that no one tarried. He used to stand there saying, All right, put on the tefillin, faster, faster, make your bracha, blessing, finish putting on the shalrosh, say shema, take off the tefillin, next, end quote. This line took place every day. Day by day, those who used to line up to stand before the Nazis now lined up to bind themselves to their God and to their past. Hundreds of Jews standing in line to put tefillin on themselves. Birnbaum writes that decades later after moving to Israel, he had thought of giving these tefillin away, and he had sent them to a sofer, a scribe, to be examined. And the scribe, hearing about the tefillin's history, reacted with reverence, saying, You mean the owner of these tefillin was in Feldafin? Are these the tefillin that we used to put on in a minute and a half? And so in the end, Birnbaum realized the treasure he had, and he left to his own sons the tefillin that the skeletal DPs he encountered used to put on every day. From pure reason, from the perspective of the logic of the mind, these tefillin are like any other. If properly written and constructed, then they allow the wearer of them to fulfill an obligation. 
From that perspective, we can understand why Birnbaum initially thought to give them away. But how precious these tefillin truly are when considered by the logic of the heart. For the tefillin contain within them the spirit of so many survivors, their devotion, their loyalty, and the logic of their hearts. A logic that continued to believe at a time when many might have expected them not to, that the God of Israel would still make himself manifest in miracles for his people. Meyer Birnbaum passed away at the age of 95. The funeral was attended by Jonas and Rosenblum, who, as I mentioned, had written up Birnbaum's story and who thought that he knew everything about the man. Suddenly, in the midst of the eulogies, something happened. Rosenblum himself describes how, quote, a very old man entered the hall sobbing. He kissed the deceased's feet and then cried out, these are the same tefillin, end quote. That's what he said. These are the same tefillin. Based on what we have previously learned, one may well assume that this mysterious man referred here to the tefillin placed in Philadelphia. But Rosenblum, as he writes, learned that this was not the case. And now here I cite an article about this man by Debbie Shapiro. The man's name was Elio Herman, and he had been deported from Hungary to Mauthausen. And he took his bar mitzvah tefillin with him, hiding it in his leg, keeping it with him at all times. At the end of the war, he was taken on a death march to another location, Gunskirchen. He and several others escaped and disguised themselves by taking SS uniforms from dead Nazis. They suddenly came upon an American jeep, and the GIs, thinking that they had encountered the enemy, were prepared to fire. These survivors had no ID, no way of proving who they were. And so, Herman pulled out his tefillin, which could have killed him as the GIs thought first that it was a grenade. But then one of the Americans looked at it, recognized it, and said in Yiddish, Du bist Yid? Are you a Jew? Shapiro, citing Herman, writes in her article, quote, Eliyahu says, I started crying and said, You are the Mashiach, the Messiah. The soldier ordered me to recite a Jewish prayer. I said, Shema. He immediately embraced me and started kissing me. End quote. Herman told the GIs about the Jews in Gunkirchen that needed help and then passed out. When he came to in a hospital, he did not know who was the Jewish GI who had saved him. Many decades later, his story was told in the Israeli media. And I conclude the tale of Elio Herman by quoting Debbie Shapiro's article again. Quote, that Saturday night, the phone rang in the Herman household. And when Elio answered the phone, a stranger asked, Are you the man who was in Gunskirchen 65 years ago? Elio replied in the affirmative. Do you remember what you said to that Jewish soldier, the stranger asked? I told him, you're the Mashiach. A few days later, Elio and Rabbi Meyer Birnbaum met at Rabbi Birnbaum's home in Jerusalem. Of course, Elio brought his tefillin. They are always with him. End quote. It was Birnbaum, in other words, who had found Herman. And Herman was the man who had come to pay his last respects to the Messiah he had met and to inform the Jewish GI who had given his tefillin to so many that he too was holding on to his own tefillin that his own father had given him. A man who believed his tefillin had saved his life. A man whose tefillin brought redemption to his fellow Jews. A man of whom we may never have heard, but whose tefillin bound him to all members of his people and who inspires us to make the logic of his heart our own. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together next week. Signing off.